you guys are excited about Jesus this morning. I can feel it in the room. It's great having the kids with us on a first Sunday. They're, they're amazing. They're up here coloring. I'm, I'm halfway tempted to just say, hey, forget you guys. I'm going to go color some pictures with the kids over there. Um, if, if I color a picture, will anybody want to hang it on their fridge? I'll, I'll give it away later after service. Oh, man, I had a whole bunch of hands. I, I'm going to have to get busy coloring afterwards. Die, save me some of those coloring sheets. But uh, yeah, anytime the kids are in service with us, we're reminded of that aspect of we are a family. And there's something about God really is no respecter of persons. Any age, color, station of life, wherever we come from, he includes us all. He invites us all to the table. Uh, we had such a great picture of that during communion this morning. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. But uh, right now, let's just, let's just take a moment just to thank Jesus for his presence and his faithfulness. Even as we heard already, uh, I'm just being reminded even that there's, there's a few people in the congregation that are in the middle of experiencing significant healings. Like they're seeing God move and uh, some guys having their, their PSA numbers are just starting to drop after they got some concerning test results from the doctor. Uh, we had somebody recently that they've, they've had a good report on a tumor they've been dealing with behind their eye. Uh, they went back, they, they literally went to the doctor and the doctor doing the examination kept saying, wow, 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 I wasn't expecting this result. So when we talk about God being faithful, come on, those are some of the areas he's faithful to us. He cares about what's going on, what concerns, what's affecting us. And his promises really are yes and amen. And we need to be people that stand. Anybody old enough to remember that old hymn in church, Standing on the Promises of God? There really is something to that. That is part of where we stand on his promises and we will not be shaken. We will not be moved. We will believe that he is who he said he is and we are who he says we are. So thank you, Jesus. We're just taking that moment to recognize your activity in our midst and honor you for it. Uh, This month, Actually, last month, because we're in October. Holy cow, it's October. Where did the summer go? Uh, We've been in a series called Done, and I thought I was done with Done. Come on. How many of you are like, we're done with Done too, Pastor Chris? Moving along. Uh, I thought I was done with it, but there was something else that God really laid on my heart to just go back and pick up of what Jesus did, because that's the whole point of the series. We're talking about why Jesus came and what he actually accomplished, and Jesus came and did something in the earth through his cross, through his suffering, through his resurrection. He released something that continues to produce those promises in our lives even today, so that's what the point of done is. He accomplished things that are still working right now in our lives. We talked about he came to seek and save the lost. He came to remind us to be childlike and elevate those people in life. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Thank you, Jesus. And last week we talked about Jesus came to preach. And that's part of our mission is to preach. And it simply means to declare what's already been done. That's what Jesus's message was. That's what he carried, not to be preachy, but to preach, just to share. This is what God's been doing in my life because he is faithful. And uh, this week, as we're starting to get into what I want to talk about today, have you ever met somebody that their picture of God was just a little bit off? They start talking to you about who they think God is or who they think Jesus is. And about two minutes into the conversation, you're just thinking, I don't think that's right. That's not exactly a, a good picture of God. And, and people have crazy pictures of God. Uh, maybe this, maybe this uh, picture up here, does anybody think of God as, as Morgan Freeman? 
come on, Bruce Almighty and he was God and it wasn't what Jim Carrey was expecting to see when he was going to meet God. Some people have strange pictures of God. Do you know anybody that thinks of God as the angry old man sitting on the porch? Like, hey, you kids, get off of my planet. Like, I don't know what we're thinking of him. We think he's, he's like an old man. He's spiteful. He's out to get us. He's out to take all the fun out of life and make you miserable. Maybe there's some people, their picture of God, when they start talking, you get the impression they think God is distant and far away and he doesn't care. He's not, he's not present. He's not a very real personal God. Have you ever met anybody that's had trouble reconciling because they picture God as violent? Look at all those people. Look, read the Old Testament. He's not a God I would want to follow. Not sure the picture, the problem is with God. It's with your picture of God. There's something off about it. Uh, my, one of my personal favorites is people start talking about God and conveniently God holds all of the same opinions and beliefs as they do. Come on. We know people like that. We may be people like that. God, come on, if you're, if you're in this room, God probably votes exactly the way you vote. Anyway, moving right along from that, because that hits a little too close to home for some of us. How many of you know in that picture, there's definitely something off about that? The God of the universe, he, he is similar to us, but he is not altogether like us. He is, his ways are higher than our ways. There are things that he does that we can't fathom. How many of you have met somebody that they just picture God as a celestial vending machine? God, give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that. I, I saw this prayer on the screen there. She's, she's uh, praying. It says, dear God, my prayer for this coming year is a fat bank account and a thin body. But please don't mix them up like you did last year. Ooh, man. Come on, people, you could go ask 10 different people outside after church day and you get 10 different opinions of what God is like. And people don't even agree on what God's really like, let alone how we should function as his, as his body and his people and what we're supposed to do with the message and the things he's given us. And uh, I think it all started back in the beginning. There was, there was a guy named Adam. He walked face to face with God. How many of you know if, if somebody of anybody is going to have an accurate picture of what God is really like, it's the person that walked with him every single day face to face yeah God's coming in the cool of the evening and Adam and Eve are like oh I hear the sound of God and they got to walk with him they got to talk to him but as soon as Adam and Eve got put out of the garden people started to forget what God was really like come on it, it didn't take very long at all it happened as soon as Cain and Abel does God want meat does he want vegetables like how do we even bring this sacrifice to him they started to forget what it was like to know God face to face and it continued to go downhill from there and it got to the point where people began to worship the sun the moon and the stars they made idols for themselves they even worshiped demons they were so far off on who God really was and what he was really like and God because he wants a relationship with us. He wanted to fix that. He found a guy named Abraham. I'm summing up all of Bible history, just like Peter did on the day of Pentecost. I'm summing it up for us. Give us the, the high points. He found a man named Abraham, says, I'm going to reveal myself to him. He's a, he's a faithful guy. I'm going to come and meet with him. I'm going to make him promises. I'm going to begin to declare good things over his life. I want him to know me and represent me to the rest of the world. And Abraham, come on, if you're having dreams and you're seeing visions and there's this, this powerful presence that's coming to meet with you personally and saying, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to make all these promises happen in your life. You'd be like, yes, sir. I want to know you. Tell me more. 
And so Abraham begins to walk with God, and he's trying to get to know him. And one day, God comes to Abraham and says, hey, remember that promise about your son turning you into a great nation, and all these nations are going to be born through him? Why don't you take that son and go up on the mountain and kill him? Not so sure this is what I signed up for, God. Come on. But think about how far did the image and knowledge of God get lost that when God came and said, Abraham, I want you to kill your son, Abraham's like, okay, that sounds like something God would do or the other gods that I've seen my relatives worshiping. Abraham thought this would be a legitimate request from God. Talk about how far the image of God had been lost and the knowledge of who he was. And uh, he didn't think it was strange. And I think, you know, come on, if you've read the Bible, you know the end of the story. He takes his son up, goes to kill him, and God stops him. He sends an angel and gives him another sacrifice. There's a ram over there caught in the thicket. And I think as much as it was to test Abraham's obedience, will, will you do what I'm asking you to do? I think God asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac was to show Abraham, I'm not like those other gods. Those ones that your family has been worshiping, those, the demons, the sun, the moon, the stars that would ask you to sacrifice your children and do these horrible on God. I'm not like that. You're following someone who's different. You're following the one true God. And from, from that moment, I think he continued. God began to reveal himself to humanity again. He began to send prophets and priests to say, this is what God's really like. This is, he wants you to know him, that he's not like those other gods. He wants to know you personally. And even in spite of God's best efforts, sending prophets and priests, when Jesus came on the scene, he took the Pharisees, he, he gave them a little talking down to, because he told them, hey, you've missed the point. You're worshiping the created stuff more than the creator. You, you think the temple and all the stuff there is more important than God himself. God really does want to have a relationship with us. He wants us to know him. And have you ever discovered it is really hard to have a relationship with someone that you don't really know? Yeah. Anybody ever try it? Like, hey, I, I kept taking Steve to Sushi Bomb every week. Because I didn't know he hates Asian food. Like, come on, if you don't know somebody, what they're about, what they're like, what their, their joys and what their valleys are, like, it's impossible to have a relationship with someone. So God wants people to know him, and I believe that that's part of why Jesus came. Jesus came to fix those misconceptions about God. Jesus came to show us the Father. Come on, that, that is one of the things that Jesus came to do. He came to show us the Father. Right after Jesus, he was having a conversation with his disciples. He just got done telling them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And when he said that, Philip asks him this question. Jesus, will you show us the Father? Come on, he's, he's talking about this is who God is. And this is what he says to Philip right after Philip says, show us the Father. In John 14, 9, Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
Come on, these are the disciples, the guys that were walking with Jesus face to face and seeing the miracles he did, hearing his teachings, and they were still having a hard time grasping who Jesus was. Philip was one of Jesus' first followers. He was one of the guys, he went and got his friends. He said, Nathaniel, come see Jesus. This is amazing. We found the Messiah. And he still didn't know who Jesus was. And when Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he was equating himself with God. Jesus' references to God being his father were part of what got him crucified. That's, that was what really sent the Pharisees and the, the high priest over the edge. He's claiming that God is his father. If people want to know what God is like, the answer is Jesus. And it's not the answer just because we're in church and that's the answer to every question. Come on, when somebody in the world is struggling with what is God really like and they're having these questions, is he angry, is he violent, is he distant, does he even care what I'm going through, the answer to what God is like is Jesus. You need to take people back to, let's go look at who Jesus is. Would Jesus do this? Would he act like this? That is the answer. If our picture of God includes behaviors that Jesus wouldn't do, then we need to go back and change and modify our picture of God. Don't assume that Jesus would behave just like us. Actually get into the word. Find out what Jesus did, how he talked with people, how he interacted, how he was a friend of sinners, how he looked at people and says he loved them. There are things that Jesus did that we need to learn from because it will shape our image of God. It it was A.W. Tozier that actually said the most important thing about us is what we think about God. The perception that we have of God drives the rest of our life, how we interact with people and how we behave. So we, because we're called to represent him in this world, we need to know him. And I I will also go one step further and say this. uh, If our version of Jesus doesn't line up with the Jesus we see revealed in the New Testament, then we need to go back and modify our understanding of who Jesus is. He doesn't change. Our job is to know him, not create him. Because I think there's a lot of people who are out there promoting this image of God who looks just like us. And it's the other way around. We're supposed to know who he is because he doesn't change. So Jesus came to clearly portray who God was to fix all those misrepresentations so that we could know and be like him. How many of you think that that's a pretty tall ask for God of the universe to come and say, I want you to be just like me? How many of you know that the correct answer to that is, I can't. Like, in my own strength, there is no way I can pull that off. Well, thankfully... God never asks us to do something that he also doesn't empower us to do and give us a way to do it. And so because he doesn't ask us to do things that he won't help us to do, he gave us the Holy Spirit. That's that's the other thing that I wanted to hit on this morning. Jesus came so that we could receive the Holy Spirit. So he came to reveal the Father, to fix the misconceptions about God. And then he's saying, hey, you need to be like this. You need to act and live just like me. And we knew that we couldn't do it on our own. So that was a bonus. Why Jesus came was to actually give us his spirit so that we could walk, act, and think just like him. 
And so uh, a few verses after that conversation that Jesus just had with Philip, where he said, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is what Jesus goes on to say in verse 16 of chapter 14 in John. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives in you now and later he lives with you now and later will be in you. When it says the father will give you an advocate, the word for advocate literally means someone who stands right next to you and helps you. That's why you may see other, other translations. You may see comforter, helper, the advocate. All of these things are referring to the job of the Holy Spirit that he comes right beside us and says, I'm going to stand right with you and help you do everything you've been asked to do. One commentary said that you could make a case to call the Holy Spirit the Savior also because he continues to produce the fruit of salvation in our lives that Jesus settled on the cross. I love, I love that thought. I just throw that out there for you. But I, I will say the Holy Spirit living in us, that is a fundamental promise of the new covenant. When we talked about the bread and the wine and what Jesus did for us dying on the cross and suffering like that, part of it was so that he could put his spirit inside of us. That was part of the deal wasn't just to say you're forgiven, but I'm going to empower you to live that life out of that forgiveness. The Holy Spirit is how Jesus fulfills that promise of never leaving us or forsaking us. That's how his faithfulness can be seen in our lives because he dwells in us and is with us. Uh, There's too many things to unpack today, but here's a couple things that the Holy Spirit does that are very basic. The Holy Spirit grows fruit in us and he gives us gifts. How many of you have ever heard that before? So we're all on relatively the same page. That's the main jobs of the Holy Spirit is he grows fruit in our lives and he gives us gifts. And we get excited about those. Uh, Here, particularly at our church, we're charismatic. We believe that there is an experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit where he supernaturally pours out things in our lives that empower us, uh, gifts that uh, we could not produce in our own strength. There's times that we know things or we do things or we see things that have no other explanation than God's here and he's doing it. And we get excited about those things. Um, I think the gifts are awesome. We should believe for the gifts. We should speak in tongues. We should expect to see God supernaturally move in our lives. But I will tell you, the purpose of the gifts is to help people see Jesus so that the fruit can be produced in us. We, we get all excited when we see supernatural things happening, but the point of them is to make people look, think, and act just like Jesus, to, to have the fruit come out in our lives. I, I will tell you this. If you ever see somebody, and you're looking at a, a, a Christian ministry maybe, and you're seeing these amazing things happen, if you ever have the choice between I'm going to follow the person with the gifts or follow the person who has fruit in their lives, pick the fruit. I, I can't... I can't I'm not going to go into all that, but there's a whole bunch of ministries over the years that have had spectacular failures because they had all these gifts and had these huge followings, but there was no fruit in their lives. And we, we need to expect, this is not an either-or proposition. Can you hear what I'm saying this morning? This is not pick one or the other. Oh, do we want fruit or do we want gifts to happen in our lives? This is not an either-or, this is an and-both. God wants them both to happen in our lives, but the point of the gifts is to point people to Jesus to produce fruit. That's what he's ultimately after. I want people 
who are going to represent me in the earth. And when the gifts start to flow, it's amazing. People have experiences where they realize that God is real. There's no other way this could happen. But the point of those is so that he can change their lives, change us from the inside out and produce his fruit in us. I think part of what is going on in society right now could be answered Whatever ailment of society you want to think of, there could be a hundred different things that just popped into your head of, this is what's wrong in the world right now. How about the answer to all those is if God's people would start walking according to the Spirit. Like if we really realize that the Holy Spirit lived inside of us and gives us the ability to change the world around us. Uh, I think walking according to the Spirit is the answer for what's going on right now. And this is actually one of the most practical things that the Holy Spirit will do in your life is this picture right here. How many of you think the world would be a lot better place if we would let the Holy Spirit do a little more of that in our lives? Come on. Um, Maybe I'm just preaching to me this morning. Everybody else is doing just fine with how we interact with people online, what we say to people, how we treat people. I think that's one of the things the Holy Spirit actually does for us. Come on, go back, read the book of James later. It's a great book to read through for thoughts on watching what you say. The book of James actually says if you never stumble over your words, you're able to keep your whole body in check and be perfect. Come on, that's how important saying things is to the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, part of why he does that is because he's developing character in us. That's why Jesus came, so that we could receive his spirit, so that he could direct our lives and make us just like Jesus. And uh, as, as I was thinking about the Holy Spirit developing fruit in us, and part of what happens is he causes us to live together in harmony. Maybe you know that's a testimony to the world, when the Holy Spirit starts working on us and we can live together in spite of our differences. At least one person knew that. I I was thinking this week, I was actually talking with another person about uh, the Azusa Street Revival. How many of you have ever read any church history about what happened at Azusa Street? There was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. People in the town thought, oh man, it, it looks like the building's on fire. It was like the day of Pentecost all over again. And God started pouring out his Holy Spirit. And there were miracles that happened. Uh, I've read some of these stories where people saw arms grow out. You know, people had had no arm. And then they left the meeting and they had an arm back. Come on, there were blind eyes that were open. There were crazy things that happened that God did miracles. <sighs> Signs, wonders, miracles, all those things that were happening. And out of all those things, the, the records that they have of the leaders of Azusa Street. I read a, I read a book one time about people that were kids during the Azusa Street Revival. And this one guy says, I have a memory as a little kid playing hide and seek in the glory cloud. He says, God's presence filled the room so much that it looked like smoke. And as kids, we would, we would duck down in it and you couldn't see us. Come on, there are things that we don't have a grid for even sometimes, but God can do them, the Holy Spirit can do them. And out of all those amazing signs, wonders, miracles, the things that happened, the leaders of the Azusa Street Revival were recorded as saying one of the greatest miracles that ever happened at Azusa Street was unity that happened between the races. Come on, the guy that, the guy that led the Azusa Street Revival, William Seymour, uh, he had gotten filled with the Spirit at meetings with a guy named Charles Parham. And as, as good a preacher of the gospel as Charles Parham was, William Seymour was black. And he made William Seymour sit outside of the classroom so that he wouldn't be in with the white students. 
And he let him preach messages, but he only let him preach to the black students. He wouldn't let him preach to the white people. And when William Seymour went to Azusa Street, one of the things the Azusa Street revival was marked by was people from all different races came. People from different ages came. William Seymour's leadership team was made up of men and women, unheard of at that time. Black and white people, old people and young people. There was something when the Holy Spirit got poured out, as awesome as all those miracles were, and this, those times we come to meetings and we're like, ooh, Shundai, like, we're excited about the Holy Spirit being awesome. As awesome as those times are, the biggest calling card is the Holy Spirit begins to pour out unity. And we overlook, we look past those differences, and we see people as Jesus sees them. This is, a, this is a quote. There was a guy named Frank Bartleman that was part of William Seymour's leadership team. And he said, the color line was washed away by the blood. Come on, that's part of our witness to the world. If the Holy Spirit could do that during such a time of prejudice and oppression and the things that were going on between the racists and the gender equality with men and women and women being silent in church, if the Holy Spirit could move in unity in such a way during that time, why do we act like he can't still do it today? Come on, all those things that we see going on in the world, the answer is right here in this room. And part of our testimony to the world is how we interact with people who are different than us. Man, what if we really began to act like we were one in Christ? What if that was a testimony to the world? In addition to praying for miracles, let's start believing for unity. Jesus took every single one of those things that would make us different, the things that we continually harp on, everything that could make us proud or boastful or angry or resentful at other people, everything that could make us prejudiced, everything that could make us think I'm better than or I'm worse than you. He took every single one of those things and nailed them to the cross, he carried them in his body so that we could be one. In talking to people who are people of faith, Paul says this in Galatians 3, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Come on, that's regarding how we treat each other and how we qualify for God's promises. There is no difference. All of those divisions that separate people don't exist in Christ. They are erased in Christ Jesus. Now, the kicker is we walk out the door and outside of our standing in Christ, those differences are very real. They are still there. My skin color is different than yours. In case you were wondering, this is pasty white. That's the official skin color right here. Come on. It's, we, we can't bury our head in the sand and, and say that there are, oh, those differences don't exist. They're not even real. There are very real differences. We wear different clothes. We come from different houses and different neighborhoods. We have different amounts of money in our bank account. We have different college degrees or different learning. Some of us have only went to high school. Some of us didn't even make it that far. I don't care what it is. The differences are real. And the world uses them to divide. The world points at all those things and says, hey, let's segregate ourselves into those groups. Because those people that didn't go to college, they're not as good as you people that went to college. Whatever it is, come on, pick something. There are differences that are so real that the world harps on them. And we need to get back to that understanding that in Christ, those things are wiped away. How we interact with people, how we see them, when we look through the eyes of the Father, there is no difference there. 
And I believe when we, when we really grab hold of that and we begin to live and act that way, that's when the world begins to change. That's when people begin to say, man, I want what you have. Because I've, I've lived too long in this place of being angry at everybody, of harping on all our differences, of trying to be divided. I think differences should be appreciated and valued. Come on, God created man and woman and said it was all good. So differences should be appreciated and valued, but don't let the world magnify them and use them to divide us. I think any, any system or program that tries to eliminate prejudice and discrimination without the activity of the Holy Spirit at the core of it won't work or succeed long term. Come on, we, we can have the government mandate things, we can have rules and regulations in place, but if it's not the Holy Spirit working in us to unify us, they're not going to succeed. All, all those programs, they're no different than trying to use the law to produce righteousness. I may get you to behave in the short term, but it's not changing anybody's heart. Man, believe it or not, even here, we had, we've had issues in the past year and a half with people walking in unity. I mean, pick a, pick a topic. There's been a bazillion this last year. Do you, do you wear a mask or not? Do you get a vaccine or not? Oh, what do you think about all those riots after George Floyd's killing? Like, there's been a lot of stuff that has really attacked the core of unity in God's people. We, we had an election year last year that was probably one of the most divisive times in the body of Christ ever. Can I just be plain about that? No matter who you vote for, what your opinion is in this room, trust me, it was divisive. And it's up to us to listen to the Holy Spirit and walk in unity together. Please, please, please listen to me on this. Don't question somebody's belief in Jesus because they have different opinions about things than you. Okay. I'll say it again. I, I got to say it again. I never get say it agains on Sunday morning. I might get the occasional amen and yeah, that's right, but I say it again. Come on. Don't question somebody's belief in Jesus because they have different opinions than you. Do you know it is really possible for people to be all over the spectrum on the opinions of things in life, things that aren't black and white in scripture, things that are opinion based, we divide over. And it is, I've, I've had people say, well, how could you be a Christian because you voted for that person? Pretty sure the Bible says what you believe about Jesus is what qualifies you to be a Christian or not. You're saved because you believe in what Jesus did and what he accomplished in the work on the cross, not what lever you pulled in the voting booth. Oh, Jesus. He's so much better. The life that we live when we put those things aside and we realize Christ unites us. He's made us part of the same family, the same body, just like Ken talked about during communion this morning. He went to the cross and suffered and died so that we could be one and put those things aside. If we read through the Bible, unity is where the blessing is promised. You go back to Psalm 133. When people dwell together in unity, that's where God commands eternal life to be poured out. And when we do things that undermine unity, we're undercutting the work that God wants to do in pouring out life onto people. And 
And I'm not, come on, I'm not trying to point fingers at anybody. Because I know how that goes. When, as soon as you start pointing a finger at somebody else, it's like evident in your life where you, short, you have shortcomings in all those areas. I'm just trying to give us a bigger picture of when we walk in unity, we're, we're representing what Jesus died to do. And it is a witness to the world. The world is dying. There are people that don't know Jesus. And we sit and argue about our opinions. And when we come together, when we set those things aside and we say, Jesus, I want to be just like you. I want, I want to follow you, Holy Spirit, so that we can walk together in unity. There's power there. And that's part of the witness to the world that transforms things and causes people to see Jesus. Jesus really came to give us the Holy Spirit so that we could walk together. Man, I love Jesus and I love you guys. Look, look at somebody near you and just give them one of those. Like, it's okay. We're on the same team. We're in the same family. Yeah, even if you wore that shirt today. Like, no, I'm just... Come on, this is, this is the action item I would like us to do this week. With all this in mind, that Jesus, Jesus came to show us the Father, and he came to fill us with his Spirit. This is what I want us to do. Read about Jesus every day and pray for Holy Spirit activity. How many of you think we could do that together as a body? Come on. And, and when I say read about Jesus, I'm talking about the Bible, right? Yeah. <laughs> just just going to clarify that. And I'm going to the New Age section and finding books about Jesus. Like, don't do that. I'm talking about the Bible. Find something in the Gospels every day and read something about Jesus just to see him. Just begin to meditate on Jesus. I want to see who you really are. I want to see what God is like when I see your life. Like, let's do that every day. And then as soon as you're done reading about Jesus... Take a, take a minute or two and just pray, Holy Spirit, we want to see more of your activity. Whether that's supernatural blowing the doors off the place and tongues of fire and, and people getting delivered from demons, or if it's just us figuring out how to love each other better. Holy Spirit, I'm not going to put you in a box and say, this is the work you have to do when I'm praying. We just want to see more of your activity in our midst. Let's go ahead and stand. One of, the, one of the things that I think Jesus revealed about God is the Father's great love that he has for us. That, that Jesus would step out of eternity to come walk on this earth and go to that cross just so that we could know him. And if, if you're here in this room or you're watching online and you've never made that real to just say, okay, Jesus, I receive what you did. I believe that you are the son of God, that you died for me and you rose again. That's a first step towards any of this stuff we're talking about. Man, do you know there, there, there are people that don't know Jesus that really are upset about the state of the world. They're, they're upset about why people don't get along and why people fight all the time, why there's so much anger. There really are people that don't know Jesus. They get grieved over those things. And they need to know that the first step towards answering all of those things that you're grieved about is starting a relationship with Jesus. He's the only one that can ever change people's hearts. 
We do a lot of yelling at each other. We do a lot of passing laws and trying to regulate things. And the only thing that will make it work is when Holy Spirit changes somebody's heart. Man, if, if you need to start a relationship with Jesus today, just ask you to come up front and find us afterwards. We'd love to pray with you. love to introduce you to him. If you're watching online, send us a note. That's one of the best decisions that you could ever make. God, we thank you for your presence in this place today. We thank you for the excitement that you stir within us when we are together as your family in your presence. Thank you for the the unity that we feel and and the love that we feel towards one another when you're present in the room. Let that not just be something that we leave here on Sunday morning. Lord, let us carry that feeling with us the same way that you see people. Let us see them through those eyes. Let that love that we've experienced that you have for us, let us be carriers of that to the people around us in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our schools. Let us love people the same way that you did Jesus. And God, I'm I'm asking and declaring for opportunities for your love to break down walls in people's lives. Even this week, that we will have opportunities to love people so unconditionally that it will grab hold of something in their heart. And it will give us opportunities to talk about how good you are. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, that you called us, you saved us, and you made us part of a family that's bigger than us. <laughs> oh, I'm just, I'm just picturing there's some of us that are in this room and we're thinking, I would never have picked all these people to be in my family. <laughs> Come on part of what mercy and grace is all about we we all got a seat at the table we all have been invited regardless of our background and where we came from jesus says there's a space for you in the family come on there's a space for you in the family there's a space for you in the family i just I, the, it struck me when, when Andrea was sharing her testimony about God's faithfulness. She, she used the phrase, the depravity of loneliness. You know, that's a real thing, that there are people living, even in the midst of a big crowd or in places where there's people around, and they're feeling empty and lonely. And they need to know there's a place for you in the family. There's a, there's a place where we'll walk together no matter what happens in your life. We'll support each other. We'll pray for each other. We'll bear each other's burdens. There's a place for you and the family to feel loved, accepted, and at home. Yes. That's right. And it happens by us That's right. being the people of God. I would, I would love to say it happens by us just showing up on Sunday morning and singing it, our best song. And then, you know, we come, we meet on Sunday, we sing a little bit, and then God sovereignly saves everybody. It happens by us going out and being the people of God. Just like Jesus said, I came to show you the Father. That's part of our mission. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. God, bless us indeed. Even as we go from this place, Lord Jesus, carry that message with us. Let it resonate in our hearts. Let us remember that we're yours no matter where we go and where we are. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness, even as we've sung about and declared today. Thank you that your promises are true, that you've always been faithful. Lord, 
let us continue to live lives that make your name famous in this place and in this region. We love you. We honor you, Lord, in Jesus' name.